0: 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's uh, look at verse 11. Why don't we stand together, and I'll read the passage. Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children. You also be open. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's pray. We invite you, God, to use your holy word to do surgery on our hearts and on our lives, on our flesh and on our spirit, God. Just sensing today that you want to do a work of deep cleansing and deep sweeping in our heart and in our lives. And Lord, we just recognize that the struggles of the Corinthians are so different than the struggle of The Oregonians, and yet so similar. There's a common kernel of idolatry and of sin in the things that we hold to and are bound by today. And so, Spirit of the Living God, would you come and blow through the caverns of our souls today? Chase and blow us out from the temple of idols and into your presence, God. We're not worthy of such a work. We haven't even prepared our hearts for such a work. But by your grace and your sovereign power, do that work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Our text today is what has been called the climax of the apostolic discussion. In other words, what Paul has been saying from chapter 5 through midway of chapter 6, it's been building up to verse 14 through chapter 7 verse 1. At the end of chapter 5, two weeks ago, Paul claimed he had been given the ministry of reconciliation, that he was an ambassador that was pleading as though Christ were pleading through us that this world would be reconciled to God whom they had sinned against. And we Found that we all have that calling of ambassadorship, of being delegates from the kingdom of heaven, begging our friends and family to come back to right relationship with Jesus that's been provided through the atoning work of the cross. Then Wednesday night, we looked at the first t- uh, 10 verses where Paul kind of hops into a defense of his ministry. And Wednesday night, we've looked at it a bit more than on Sunday mornings, but that there were a group of men in the city of Corinth that were really being divisive and setting the Corinthian church heart against Paul the Apostle. And so Paul, throughout 2 Corinthians, you'll find it it kind of hopscotching through the book, where he's defending himself and he's calling out these false brothers that are pulling his children away from him. And so there's a list in the first 10 verses of some 20 things that prove that Paul has a valid apostolic ministry. And the conclusion of our Wednesday night teaching was that every one of those incredible, loving, service aspects of Paul's ministry is ultimately coming from the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. Paul never did anything that Jesus didn't do. A servant is not greater than their master and so because of all of that Paul says here and calls for the Corinthians to widen their hearts towards him his heart is so wide to them man could you reciprocate that love I've shown you so much love and so much pain I've sweat and bled for you oh would you love me the same would you love me back And that call goes into verse 14. That reciprocation will be found in the Corinthians separating themselves from the local temple cults and worshiping idols. It's as if Paul stands in front of the Corinthians blocking the pathway to hell that they appear to be willfully determined to tread. For the Corinthians to proceed further towards apostasy and falling away from Christ, they must thrust Paul aside. And don't think that you in Prineville today are separated from them. There's a call that would go forth to us that is just as potent, just as powerful, just as applicable to the middle schooler in this room and the senior citizen alike. And my prayer and my burden this weekend and laying in bed at night was that none of us would thrust Paul aside today. None of us would push the Holy Spirit and his convicting work out of the way so we could stiff-neckedly, hard-heartedly keep going on that road to perdition. May the Lord forbid us from that today. Verse 11 says, Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. It's rare that Paul would address his readers by name. Oh, Galatians, you're foolish. Who has bewitched you? Oh, Philippians, you know. Oh, Corinthians. We've spoken the truth to you. We've shown our deep love to you. Our heart is wide open. We have been true ministers Speaking in truth and sincerity, not peddling the word, not out for dishonest gain, not trying to shear the sheep and rob you blindly, like those other men that you're listening to. We've been walking in biblical truth, laying our lives down for you. Oh, Corinthians, we have a large heart for you. What a word even for us today. Looking at the list of Paul's apostolic ministry in the first 10 verses, I realize how much I fall short from the a, a, apostle. It's been quite a while since I've tach- taken three different sets of scourges from a Roman whip. And it's rare that I'm up all night weeping, although it's not absent or certainly among our leadership. <laughs> but I think that the call could be said to you today. Oh, Primeville, Oh, Calvary Chapel of Crook County. We have spoken the truth to you. Hours upon hours a week are spent, whether it's Blaine, Aaron, Kevin, or myself, Chad Carpenter, every elder we've had, on our face, before the word of God, pulling it apart, searching it, reading different viewpoints that we could come and rightly divide it to you today. And that's by God's grace that he's led us to do that, that he's kept us on that path, and by his grace he'll keep us on that path. But it can't be said of every church out there. Oh, Prineville, we've spoken the truth to you. Oh, Prineville, our hearts are wide open. Our homes have been wide open. Our refrigerators have been wide open. Our vehicles, what's mine is yours. Our hours, 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, sitting on your couch, weeping with you, begging you to put the knife down, to put the bottle down. Begging you to come. Come. Week after week, come. We're here to make disciples and go out to this world and tell them of the love of Jesus. Have you experienced the forgiveness of sins? Well, let's go out and tell this world of such forgiveness. They don't know it. Come, be a part of our discipleship core groups. Come into our homes and eat with us in the 242 groups. Come Wednesday night. Can you give us one night a week? Can you give us one night a week? As the early church certainly did. Can you give us a Sunday a week? We've spoken the truth. Our hearts laid down. Verse 13 says, Now, in return for the same, I speak as to dear children, you also be open. You also be open. As the Phillips translation says, Oh, dear friends, in can I insert Prineville? We are hiding nothing from you, and our hearts are absolutely open to you. Any stiffness between us must be on your side, for we assure you there is none on ours. Do reward me. I talk to you as though you were my own children with the same complete candor good reminder for all of us to just make sure our phones are off. I don't know that I turned mine off, so. (laughs) Yeah, it's all right. It's good. It's a new phone, right, Rusty? It's cool. She just told me. It's all right. (laughs) Hey, I've got your number right here. You better watch it. As I read that Phillips translation, I'm aware, man, not on the same level as Paul. I'd love to be Lots this week has been just spent, oh, I'm not as good as him there. I'm not, man. But Lord, if this is the example that certainly Paul was following from you, then Lord, make us that as well. We try to endeavor to meet these descriptions of minister, and so we implore you, Prineville, listen, we implore you, beg you, meet us halfway. Will you meet us halfway? Our hearts are open. Would you be open as well? As Jesus' heart is open to us as true ministers, if there's any rigidity between you and him, it's on your side. And Paul tells us why. He says, because there's a battle for your affections. And as we are here saying, our hearts are wide open, could you come meet us halfway? Why wouldn't you? Everything that we've been asking is from the Bible. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Because there's a battle for your affections. There's a battle for your affections. The affections that restrict are that, verse 14, we are yoked together with unbelievers in various ways and it is pulling us away from the kingdom of God and from New Testament biblical Christianity. The Corinthians will show that they have truly been a part of Paul's reconciliation ministry if they will separate themselves from the temple cults of the city in which they live. Now don't check out and say, I haven't visited a local temple cult recently in Prideville, so I might as well leave right now. There are temple cults in your own heart today. And it is up to the Spirit of God to push the button on them right now. And you're going to be uncomfortable today. You're going to be uncomfortable. Imagine being the one studying this all week. (laughs) Buttons have been pushed, but let's let him push it, that we could be saved from hell. Verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Paul has in mind circumstances that necessitated an emergency visit to Corinth, to bring correction and pleading to them. They had a problem with an accelerated slide into sexual immorality and idol worship. And it was a mark of who they had been as a carnal church. The Corinthians had repented of some of those things. They had set some of those matters right and yet some were still being compromised. They were joining unbelievers in cultic worship and it should not be so. You see, in Christianity, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other or love this one and hate that one. And Paul is essentially saying, you're going to either receive me or reject me. Now, this idea of being unequally yoked, it's a crucial biblical principle. The imagery is that of a plow being pulled by two oxen. The oxen are linked together in a wooden harness or yoke. I'm not talking to a bunch of city folk. I think you got it enough in your head these days. But the yoke is constructed. To force the two oxen to work together, it causes pain if one oxen doesn 't cooperate with the other. If one oxen pulls back, it will pinch one of them, the one that legs behind. And that restrictiveness of the yoke forces a cooperation with one another. It forces teamwork. So, it's much easier for the animals if they are equally yoked together. They're of the same species, they're of the same breed, they're of the same size, shape, and strength. Now, the Old Testament says that you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey. It's in the Bible. You've got to tell people these things. <laughs> you mix a donkey with an ox and you will ensure... Friction and frustration kicking at each other to the point that if they were left that way, one would die. The different species have different speeds, different methods, different natures that pull apart from each other and fight with each other. So being unequally yoked together in this verse speaks of being mismatched. And the book of Leviticus speaks of this. Not letting your livestock breed with one another. Don't sow your field with mixed seed. Don't even sow a garment together of mixed fabrics. The law says, when the Lord your God delivers the other people of the nation over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them you shall make mar- oh, excuse me nor shall you make marriages with them you shall not give your daughter to their son nor take their daughter for your son and so you kind of look at the whole of the bible and you realize that unbelievers are of a different seed and of a different breed And so care must be taken as to the nature of our relationships with them. Believers must not be mixed, matched, joined together with unbelievers, but we must selectively disengage. The psalmist says in 106.35, but they mingled with the Gentiles. And they learned their works. It's possible to mingle with the world and learn the world's works. As James 4.4 says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or warfare with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself An enemy of God. And so we begin to deduce what it means to be unequally yoked together with a non-believer. It means that we are beginning to engage with the world as to become lovers of the world. And friends with the world. Specifically with unbelievers, with non-Christians. One definition is that unbelievers are unconverted Gentiles who inhabit the dark world of idolatry and immorality and such a city was Corinth. Blind people who are under the sway of the God of this world. It says that we shouldn't have fellowship, the righteous with the lawless or the right ones with the wicked ones. We're to keep away from intimate associations with evil. Intimate, voluntary association with the wicked. That's ultimately what's being spoken of here. Second Chronicles 19:2 said that Jehu, the son of Hanani. The seer, or the prophet, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. The love that it's speaking of here is that intimate association with evil. Paul goes on a little bit more and and calls it communion, fellowship, sharing with one another. Hodge says, parties are said to be in communion when they are so united that what belongs to the one belongs to the other. Or when what's true of one is true of the other. And so where is that the case, Paul says, between light and darkness? Between you, the people of God, who are a torch, And the wicked evil ones of this world, even so far as much as evil spirits, the gloomy ones. Light is a common scriptural emblem of knowledge, holiness, the holiness of God, being blessed. Whereas darkness is commonly the emblem of error and sin and misery. And what do those have in common? Ephesians would tell us in chapter 5 multiple times don't be partakers of that. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Have no fellowship. Hodge also said that the attempt for Christians to remain Christians and retain the inward state of being Christians yet enter into voluntary, intimate fellowship with the world, is as impossible as to combine light and darkness, holiness and sin, happiness and misery. Remember, a believer and an unbeliever are separate species. They're different breeds with different natures. The believer born of God, alive to the things of the Spirit. The unbeliever, maybe a nice person, maybe good looking, maybe even pleasant to be around, is still dead in sin. Unaware and insensitive to God's Spirit. You put these two breeds, different breeds, in the same yoke, and it produces long-term frustration. At first, the two parties might seem to be working well together, plowing along smoothly, but inevitably, they will walk in separate directions, separate speeds, choking one another out. Now, the immediate context is separate from 2015, and yet there's certainly wisdom in this, In our roommate situations that we enter into, in our business partnerships. As you get into partnerships where you have different ethics, different goals, different visions, and inevitably, you'll find yourself up against a wall. Do we claim this? Do we charge for that? but not only in our business relationships, in our marriages. Biblically, we are not to be unequally yoked together with non-believers. Our marriages, we have a mission, we have dreams, we have plans, we have spending, we handle conflict, and we parent our children. Where do we spend our time very important, one of the most intimate unions in our lives are not to be unequally yoked. And I've seen it time and time again, and there are people who could stand up and testify that they've been unequally yoked in their marriage, and it has hindered and hampered their relationship with the Lord and all that He's had for them. We've walked and had many meetings with wives who have lawless husbands. Righteous husbands who have wicked wives. It's not pleasant. It's, it's horrible. It's sorrowful. And so for those of you that are single... Maybe pursuing a relationship, flee if they are unbelievers. Get out of there as fast as you can. And do not lie to yourself and say, we're only dating. A little bit of insight. I know I don't have much silver hair, but there's some wisdom in this. You marry who you date, you marry who you date. And if you date a non-believer, odds are that soon enough you'll be living with that non-believer. Living in immorality with that non-believer. And then marrying that non-believer. Now, there are exceptions to that, and I know people who have missionary dated, as they call it, and And things are well now. But you guys, that is the exception to the rule. And that is by God's grace that that has happened. And the majority of the time, it works out the opposite way. A very wise and very holy man gave his judgment on this point. A man who is truly pious, marrying with an unconverted woman, will either draw back to perdition or have a cross during life. You'll either draw back, fall away from walking with the Lord, or the rest of your life you'll have a cross to bear. But Paul means much more than merely our marriage to non-believers. It really applies from this verse to any environment where we let the world influence our thinking and our worldview. Don't be unequally yoked together. And verse 15 says, what accord has Christ with Belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Is there any accord of Jesus with, this word Belial can also be translated Belier and it speaks of Satan, the wicked one, the worthless one is the language. It's rarely used. What accord does Christ have with Satan? The word accord is basically symphony. What harmony, what symphony does Jesus have with Satan? It's a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer it. There's none. The Qumran people who it was believed John the Baptist was a part of, kind of this almost Quaker or Amish type group that lived by the Dead Sea. They had a beatitude that said, Blessed be the God of Israel, but cursed be Belial with his hostile purpose. Man, the God of Israel, he's holy, he's blessed. Of course, Satan, Belial, wicked, cursed, savage. What part has a believer? What portion has a believer with a non believer? Look at 1 Corinthians 10 20. Rather, the things with the Gentiles' sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? To enter into a relationship with non-believers that is considered communion, that is considered fellowship, that is considered symphony, that is considered intimate association, is to try to partake of the table of the Lord and leave this place and eat at the table of demons. There's some things that just don't mix. The table of the Lord, the table of demons. Oil and water, they don't mix. Honey and vinegar, they don't mix. Drinking and driving, they don't mix. Hot days and chocolate candy bars, they don't mix. Water and electricity, the ducks and the beeves. Sunshine and homework. Believers and unbelievers. And look at the contrasts, the antitheses. You've got believer, non-believer. You've got righteous, lawless. You've got light versus darkness. Christ versus Belial. Now, in some of these cases, some of our yokings, we may have some things in common, a common country, a common kindred, a common worldly affection. We might even be attracted to each other. But the interior life is entirely different. Inside, we are opposed to one another. Let's look at a couple of deep Old Testament (laughs) scriptures to drive home the point. In Exodus 34.10, He said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a Jealous God." lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods and one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. And so you see what comes from deep communion and fellowship with non-believers. In fact, in another Old Testament passage, when the Israelites were to come into the land and they went up to the high places and they saw these little idols, it says under every green tree was often where you would find these things. It says, don't look at them. Don't stare at them and ponder them. Just walk up to them and just start crushing them. Lest you be drawn in and begin to worship them. Barnett writes... The believer is one who belongs to Christ and enjoys fellowship of the community of the believers in a congregation. The unbeliever has no attachment to Christ or to the congregation, but resides outside in the world of wickedness and darkness, living for Belial. And so consider the Holy Spirit, maybe he just puts his finger on certain deep, intimate relationships you have with the world. And where you need to take a sledgehammer and just demolish those contacts today. They're sucking you in to idol worship. 1 Kings 11. I may have put 2 Kings 11 in there, so if you have to edit it, um, feel free. But 1 Kings 11, verses 1 through 12, give us the tragic story of King Solomon. And how he disregarded the words of the law. The words of his father David who specifically warned him against this. And just listen to this. 1 Kings 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. Maybe you're a King Jameser out there today. King Solomon loved many strange women. Some of you know how that is. Anyways as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of which the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. 700 wives and 1,000 concubines. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. His wife turned... I'm sorry, uh, 300 concubines, a total of 1,000. His wives turned away his heart. Let me read that again. His wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old that his wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chamash. This is the king of Israel. The son of David. The abomination of Moab was built on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. That is the Mount of Olives. And for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon, and he did likewise for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. And so just a tragic, I want one of the most tragic stories in the Old Testament because it led to Israel being split in two. It led to the rest of the Old Testament where you see Judah and Israel being led off into captivity because Solomon's heart was not loyal to his God. And he began to worship Ashtoreth, who was the Babylonian god Ishtar, where we get our word Easter. She was a goddess of sensual love and fertility. Worship of her was noted for sexual licentiousness. It was believed she was dropped from heaven in the form of a colored egg during the springtime. Sound familiar? Sexual immorality was the form of worship to Ashtoreth. Milcom, also known as Moloch, was honored and worshipped by the sacrifice of children. Not only do we worship Ashtoreth when our hearts stray from worshipping the one true God and turn to sexual immorality, sexual practices of every form under heaven, but we look at our nation and how Worshipping ourselves or any other God, the God of America, and we sacrifice our children for it. How many have aborted their babies to please the God of themselves, to make life easier, so that they can get what they want? The sacrifice of children was prohibited in Jewish law in Leviticus 18.21. Solomon is worshiping not only Milcom, but Chamash. Chamash was a Moabite god whose worship was specifically noted by child sacrifice, where there was a golden bowl in the hands of the god, and a fire was lit under the bowl, and these people would come and bring their babies and fry them in the bowl to their god. And as you read the rest of the kings, you read of other kings who also sacrificed their sons to false gods. Kings of Israel, sacrificing their sons so that they could worship and appease other gods. And it has its roots in Solomon being unequally yoked together with unbelieving women. And they turned their hearts. Away from the Lord to worship other gods. The story of Solomon goes on in verse 9 of 1 Kings 11. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and he commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Do you catch that? The Lord appeared to Solomon twice. How many times do you think Chamash or Milcom appeared to Solomon? It doesn't matter. It was the women that drew the heart away. Doesn't love do that? Doesn't it draw us away? Doesn't it pull on our affections? Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you've done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Later on, Nehemiah would rebuke Israel for worshiping these other gods, and he brought it down to pagan women who caused Solomon to sin. Nowhere is darkness due to blindness more evident than when an unbeliever participates in cultic worship. That's darkness, fellowship with Belial. Now all of that being said, Paul never bans any sort of social interaction with unbelievers. He doesn't discourage believers from remaining with the one they're married to. In 1 Corinthians, he says, I wrote to you not to keep company with sexually immoral people, but I don't mean sexually immoral people of this world or else you'd have to get out of this world, but don't keep company with an immoral brother. And so it's okay to have relationships out there with the people. I mean, we've got to be lights in the midst of the dark world. We've got to be salt out there. People would be thirsty for Jesus. We've got to be those ambassadors out there in the world, pleading with people to be reconciled to God. Even if a non believer invites us to dinner, we're to eat whatever's set before us, Paul says. Don't ask if the meat had been offered to an idol. Just eat what's set before you. Being ambassadors to these people. Also, 1 Corinthians 7 says that if a woman is married to a non-believer and that non-believer chooses to stay married, stay married. Don't get a divorce. Stay married. The non-believing husband is sanctified by the wife and vice versa. Jesus prayed for us. I don't pray, Father, that you would take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one, John 17 says. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I'm also sending them into the world. And so Jesus says, we're going to be in the world. Just don't be of the world. A mom was trying to teach a lesson to her son's, she was in the garden and needed, uh, and she held her white gloves up and she said, Boys, notice when I stick these gloves in the dirt, the gloves become dirty, but the dirt does not become glovey. <laughs> so too, we need to be in the world, but not of the world. The ship is to be in the water, but you keep the water out of the ship. Verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. There is no possible union between the temple of God and the temple of idols. It is inconceivable that idols should be brought into the temple of Yahweh. Inconceivable, quote the princess bride. So too, under the new dispensation, the new covenant, it is impossible for a born-again Christian to let these idols remain in the temple. And you are the temple of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You've been bought with a price, and the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. There's an old hymn that says that no rival throne would survive. And if the Holy Spirit would be showing anything in you that is a rival throne, that is a platform for idols, repent of it today. You're the temple of the living God. Let it not remain. I think it was... Martin Luther, that said that the human heart is an idol factory. We take good things and in our heart we can turn them into gods. And all of a sudden we are consumed by these things. Our affections go towards these things. Our money is just being sucked by these things. Our time and our energy and our resources and our passion. You know, it's been said that you know, you can look at a man's wallet or his bank registry and you'll know who his God is. Modern day is, you can look at someone's Facebook status and you can see who their God is. I can tell if someone's God is our cats, someone's God are horses, you know them, cat people. If their God are are sports, if their God is Jesus, We take good things that God has given us richly to enjoy and we abuse them and misuse them. And I just pray that today and just waking up in the night and just burdened that the Lord would just bring just application for us that we're not going necessarily into the temple of Chamash today. But there are things that we are sacrificing our children to. We're giving our children to. Maybe it's the God of athletics. That is so a God of this age. Maybe it's the God of television. Man, we are a society that worships celebrities. Maybe it's the God of luxury. And we're just giving our children over. We're giving our affections over. It's the God of pornography. We're giving our bodies over. And we are linking our bodies to harlots. And Paul says that ought not be so. Let it not even be named among you. Don't join the temple of God with the temple of idols. And then he moves on. And he says in verse 17... As we close up here. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. These wonderful words that are quoted from the Old Testament and and abstractly quoted, though they are, they're the gospel that should move us. Away from idolatry. All of this we don't fully comprehend. Verses 17 and 18. God help us understand. That the covenant. The new covenant is that. He will be our God. And we will be his people. And because of that. We should come out from among the paganism. And the idolatry. And the things that we are offering our lives up to. That are not for the kingdom of God. Chapter 7 verse 1 says, Therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We need to flee from these idols. We need to take drastic measures in getting away from the things that are taking our affections from all that God is calling us towards. The lawless things, the dark things, the idolatrous things. These are all affections that were not allowing the Corinthians to give back the love and the truth that Paul was giving them. And as we as a church and as pastors of this church are calling you guys toward Jesus and to be about the kingdom of God for his glory and splendor, the affections that are robbing you from all-out, reckless, abandoned, passionate involvement in the things of God, they are evil. They will lead you to hell. You're on the road to perdition if you practice them and follow them. It looks beautiful on the outside, It promises riches and luxury and popularity and pleasure, but it is wicked nonetheless. And as Paul says in this last verse, we have promises of being new creations. We have promises of being the children of God. We have promises of being the people of God. We have promises as we're called out from among this idol worship. These promises move us today of cleansing ourselves from filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of the spirit. The promises of God being our God, which is what the whole Bible is all about, they move us to not just stop worshiping idols, but begin perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And as the worship team comes up, I've just had to spend time just before God's throne and presence and studying this and just allowing the Lord to just use his radar of the Holy Spirit on me. And the prayer too has been that he would just detect in you the affections and passions that are hindering you today from perfecting holiness and Let's just move to prayer and you can set your things aside. That people worship Ashtoreth today is no secret the statistics are overwhelming god has laid out in his word that the marriage bed is undefiled but fornicators and those that are immoral in sexual immorality they will be judged And how among not only men but women is there such a rampant epidemic of sexual immorality and worship of Ashtoreth, known by a different name today, no doubt, in pornography, in adultery? In premarriage sex. And today the Lord would say, I want to be your God. And I want you to be my people. Today the Lord would say, I have spoken openly the truth to you. And my heart is wide open to you. And as little children, I urge you, let your heart be open to me. Come out from the temple of Ashtoreth today. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of sexual immorality, but expose them. Where your hand is causing you to sin, where your satellite tv package is causing you to sin where your phone is causing you to sin where your internet is causing you to sin cut it off it's better to enter into heaven without the internet and without hbo and showtime than to go to hell with them come out from among the immorality Take the axe to the relationship and repent. There's forgiveness. Ezekiel promises that the Lord will wash us from our idolatry, He will give us new affections. He'll replace the desire for those things. As the word of God has been laid open to this church of all that God has for us to be in fellowship with one another, many are being held by their own affections many are being held from this desire to be the world's best hunter not trusting the Lord to provide food in the freezer your affections of hunting holding you back your affections for football baseball Soccer holding you back. Living vicariously through your children. Don't sacrifice your children to the God of athletics. remember maybe six months ago just bringing a movie into our home it was horrible bosses and I just oh a couple funny guys Rachel from Friends oh man man didn't read anything didn't look at the rating just brought it in and began watching it and just disgusted I don't think I shut it off I don't think we shut it off and there was another movie I think we brought in we shut it off and oh wickedness and I just had to tell my core group and just walk in the light and say guys man I just find myself uh, foolishly and just without care just bringing things into my home and kind of getting it going and sometimes feeling like it's too late to stop and Man, I just was so glad to spend that time with my friends, just saying, You guys just want to walk in the light. Just these, just that needs to end in my life. I'm not pursuing holiness in the fear of God. And just so encouraged that the Lord has been just working, just the, just more of a purity in our home, in the things that we let in. I mean, there is just an endless list of things today that we could just specifically bring out that have become our gods. So blessed today by a family that was here that their son's an athlete and was in a basketball tournament in Prineville this week and, and yet they carved out the time to pursue God. Man, sports are not bad. They can be good things. They can bring much glory to God. But don't let them pull your affections away from the living God. I've got a home that I'm trying to finish. I want it to look nice. I want it to be a great, safe place to raise my kids and a place to fellowship with friends. But I'll tell you, you guys, that home is an inch from consuming me and my resources and my affections and my time if I let it. It can become my God. When families, never at church, never in fellowship, never in communion with the things that the Lord would have them in communion with, found out, oh, I've got to spend my time becoming this, you know, this this famous individual, being a master craftsman, being a master this or that. And you know, guys, just how quickly we fall into that. Oh, Prineville, the hearts of this church are open to you. Don't let your affections hold you back. Let's just let this last song be a just a time of repentance. Just a time of coming out from among the idols. Maybe even a time of just repentance. You know, you can't change the past but you can confess your sins to the Lord and be healed and cleansed. And then you can receive that forgiveness that's found in Jesus. As you're ready during this song, why don't we just start out, we're just seated and let's just spend some time getting right with the Lord and letting him search our heart and see if there be any wicked way in us and maybe just after you've just let the Lord deal with those things and you've confessed them and you've just let him bring forgiveness and you can just receive that forgiveness, why don't you stand just as the Lord has just brought that freedom and has just shown you you're out from among them now. You can come worship me in spirit and in truth.